Borukata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kitshenu B'mitzvotav V'tzivanu, La'asok B'divrei Torah, Veharevna Adonai Eloheinu Et Divrei Torateka Befinu Ufi Amka B'tisrael, Venie Anaknu V'dza Etzeinu V'dza E Amka B'tisrael, Kulanu Yodea Shemeka Velomde Torateka Lishma, Barukata Adonai Hamlame Torah Le'amo Yisrael, Baruka Shem Adonai, let the resurrection begin. May it be soon in our days that we see the face of our King, Mashiach Yeshua. Amen. Come on. All right, so turned up right now. Shabbat Shira just passed. We're headed into Tuba Shabbat. And the thing is, oh my word. So uh, the incredible Talmud, a.k.a. Professor Talmud, uh, he did such an amazing job on his drosh, on my word. Blessed be the name of Hashem for just hooking that up. Whole thing about Sarah, the image and the image, the Neshama going into the body and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, one of the things that happened is there's some different gleanings that I wanted to just kind of bring forth uh, that I got to uh to experience and i wanted to be able to just share them uh with us if i could and so this will be shabbat shira gleanings is the name of this podcast so one of the things right out the gate i want to just jump into midrash shabbat shemot 1517 says the holy spirit said in the footnote Footnote 324 says, i.e., the prophecy of God said in Scripture. So the prophecy of God, the will of God, which is in the Scripture, is the Holy Spirit. So, Medrash Abah, Shemot, 1517. Holy Spirit, Scripture, prophecy of God, will of God. Medrash Abah, Shemot, 24.4. Great and awesome is God, for you were provoking him while journeying in that wilderness that is full of snakes, scorpions, fiery serpents, and hunger, and yet he led you through it safely. Footnote, the fact that God restrained his anger and tolerated Israel's sins is a display of his greatness and might. And his protection of Israel from the dangers of the wilderness is a display of his awesomeness. So just want to say that even the wicked people got manna while they were in the wilderness. They just had to work for it. One of the things the Midrash is bring down that the manna fell at a distance depending on how much you were close to Hashem. If you were super close to Hashem, the manna was close to you. If you were far from Hashem, the manna was far from you. Interesting, because the manna and the Shabbat are related. So if Shabbat's hard, it's maybe because of your distance from Hashem. So you can close in the gap. Shabbat will become easier. Second thing is your daily provisions also become closer to you. The closer to God you become. Also, the manna was in three forms because there was the manna that was uh, like the kernels where you had to like Get the gather in those those kernels, grind it up, and then you had to actually cook it and bake it and wait for it, and then you could eat it. That was for the wicked people. So when people complained about the manna, it was like we hate this manna. It's like, did you cook it well? Because you know, if you're having issues with that, you might want to ask for some recipes. Second of all, the second way manna was brought forth was as round cakes. And this is all coming from the the Humash with the teachings of the Talmud. And it brings down that this was people who are kind of mediocre righteous. It was a cake. It was just like, okay. But for those who were righteous, really getting it in with a shim, it was ready-made challah for them. Like straight up, like ready to eat. Like it could taste like whatever you wanted it to taste like. And it's good. So again, when people despise the manna, it's just kind of like, okay, so you're really actually indicting yourself. You're saying that you're actually upset with Hashem because of your lack of communication, connection, communion with him. 
So anyway, but Hashem is showing his greatness to us that he was still providing for us and keeping us safe because there's some crazy stuff out in the desert. And Hashem is like, you know what? I got you. Just like when Mashiach was on the crucifixion stake, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Man, we took Hashem's glory and like bloodied it, pierced it, crushed it like an olive. Pretty much what you have to do to an olive to get the oil from it so that you can light the menorah. That's what we did to Mashiach. And, uh, you know, it's like, are you sure you want to do that to God's glory? That's like taking Hashem's name, piercing it, ripping it up, throwing it in the garbage. I mean, that's the fact that you didn't just get turned into like a greasy spot is amazing. So we have to remember this applies to all of us, but just the say la for the ages as far as Hashem is like, you know what? I take care of you. I brought this up last week, but still in Shemot Rabbah 24.4, it says that Rabbi Abba related before our teacher, once a person passed through this wilderness, the wilderness of Cub, which is the same as the wilderness of uh, Shur that we were passing through. And it says, he saw a sleeping snake that was the size of a beam of the olive press. And whereas he saw the snake, the snake did not see him. See, this is the beautiful thing about traveling with Hashem. We get to see everything. I brought up the analogy of a zoo. You go into the zoo, you can see gaboon vipers, pit vipers, and all sorts of like things that will just end you. And yet... They can't harm you. They didn't touch you. They didn't even see you. You poke at the glass. You're like, hey, ah, wake up. And it's like, okay, I'm a viper. I could really kill you right now. But I'm pretending like I don't see you. And besides, even if I tried to strike you, I can't. So that's the advantage of being with Hashem. And again, I want to bring up the fact that the bones of Yosef being our prayer and our tour study, because those are our weapons brought down by the Chassam Silver. Uh, that when we are spending our time doing tour study and praying and doing all these mitzvot and all being all observant and making people upset with us because we're never available on Saturdays, guess what? You're giving yourself safe travel through crazy, ridiculous wilderness that could kill you. So, yeah, say la. Okay, so the next thing is I wanted to speak on the Torah being daily bread. I saw this. Here it is. Thank you, Hashem. I'm so excited. I got to take a picture real quick. Hang on. Got to take a picture. Because, you know, this is this is going to tie to the yom yom who let it, yom yom who let it, yom yom who let it, Sameach. The happy, happy birthday, because yum, yum, who let it means happy, happy birthday. All right. Thank you, Hashem, that I got this picture. Okay. Shemot Rabbah 25.9. Here's what it says. It says, moreover, not only will I grant you the manna as a result of your occupation with Torah. So here's the thing. Remember Mashiach? Yochanan chapter 6 on the bread that descended in the wilderness, right? On the bread of heaven. Here's the thing. So when we get the manna, Hashem just said, I will grant you the manna as a result of your occupation with Torah. This is why a lot of people predominantly in the world today don't know who Mashiach is because they think he's a, a buddy JC to call him that uh the bumper sticker the statue the one who wears a t-shirt the tuxedo shirt and all that kind of stuff that type of character who has long blonde flowy curly hair with blue eyes and all this kind of stuff and apparently eats pork uh that kind of person this is why people don't know who he is because the only way you're granted this manna is because you're occupied with torah hence why when mashiach was asking his very own talmudim who were by the way occupied with torah that's why he was with them he says who do you say i am and he says you're okay spoke up he was always ready with an answer <laughs> which is probably why he wrote always be ready with an answer for the faith that you have but anyway uh he says oh yeah you're the son of god you're the mashiach and Hashem or and Mashiach was like, 
No man told you this. This was only revealed to you by the Ruach HaKodesh. So you're, you're definitely occupied with Torah, homeboy. That's why you know who I am. Other people think, oh, he's just a good man. Oh, he's just a good prophet. I think he's Elijah. Oh, I think he's, you know, Jeremiah. I don't know. I think he's just a, he's not divine or anything. So anyway, I just wanted to point that out, that as a result of your occupation with Torah, if you labor in Torah, you will be accompanied by Mashiach. But you can't just labor in vain. You can't just be like, oh, I'm going to toil in Torah today and I don't care about God because that's a that's a way to get your manna in the form of a kernel, which you're going to have to bake and grind up and cook. And like, hopefully it comes out well. So don't do that. Torah for its own sake is the is the way Lishma for the sake of Hashem, for the sake of heaven and for no other reason than Hashem gave it to us and he commanded it and we shall do what he commands. Like, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That type of love. Anyway, so it goes on to say, but I will also bless you in general day by day. As it is stated, blessed is Adonai day by day. He burdens us. The God of our Yeshua. 6820 of Tehillim. Psalm Tehillim. 6820. Footnote. The words every day which is yom yom as in yom yom who led it okay i already sang it already won't sing it twice but i'm just kidding okay it says which appear in this verse as well suggests that it is related to torah which is also ascribed with these words as stated above moreover the context of that verse is in a psalm dealing with moshe's ascent to mount sinai to receive the torah According to this interpretation, Ya Amas Lanu, like he burdens us, means that God loads us up with blessings, as it were, the word Lanu indicating for us or on our behalf. So when we look at Yom Yom, Hashem is going to load us up and going to do this on our behalf. We need to understand that that is Torah. That is our daily provision. That is Mashiach, who will accompany the Torah that we are laboring in every single day. Hashem is going to load us up. So it says, this is Shemot Rabbah 25.9. So Yom Yom is a, whenever you see Yom Yom, you can always think Torah. That's why Yeshua says today, if you hear my voice. He also says, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough worries of its own. And uh, also we're taught to ask this day for our daily bread. I'm going to bring it up. I got one more tab over here. Shemover by. I don't know why I tabbed it. Let's see. Oh, yes, I do. The temple took on the burden of the world, just like Mashiach did. And just like Cain told Hashem, Hashem, you bear the sins of the whole world. Can you not bear my sin? So the temple, Hashem, Mashiach, are all called bearers of the burden of the world. So check this out. This is Shemot Rabbah 25.10. It says, and when you do my will, I will refer to you as those who are born by me from birth. Yeshiyahu 46.3. Sleek, I got to take another picture. I was talking in my Tuba Shavat podcast about being uh, Jews and that it's because we have a Jewish mother who's called the word of God. Because when you do the will of Hashem, he births you from that will, which we remember, what is the will of Hashem? It's the scripture. It's the Holy Spirit. It is the Shekinah. It is the prophecy. So, your mother is Jewish if you are one who does the will of God because the very word that you study, the very will that you fulfill, the very spirit that you walk by becomes that which gives birth to you, which, by the way, is defined as a new creation or one who is born again or one who is born from above. So anyway, that's uh, Yeshiyahu 46.3. 
It says the Midrash now interprets Ya'amaslanu to mean he will bear us, i.e. he will bear all our burdens with the word lanu us indicating the object of the verb amas, which means to burden. So think about this. Shaul says we're to bear one another burdens and we so fulfill the Torah of Mashiach. The Torah of Mashiach is all about the deeper insight to Torah. What's the deeper insight to Torah? The hidden secrets, the deeper wisdom is that we are to bring forth new creations from all mankind. We're to go out into all the world uh, and teach them everything Mashiach taught us. And we're to immerse them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh, which is all the same. And then they become new creations, which is all about renewal, rebirth, renewal, resurrection, redemption. So that's the thing is that uh, we bear one another's burdens. And when we do that, we're considered to be born again by one another. Somebody else bears your burden. And they become born by your burden. And then you bear somebody else's burden and they become born by that burden or you become born by their burden. Because why? Because when you do Hashem's will, which is the Torah of Mashiach. Selah. Because the Torah of Mashiach is no different from the Torah, which is no different from the scripture, which is no different from the Holy Spirit, which is no different from the prophecy of God. Okay, all of that. Just line it all up. Because that's what it is. Now you're considered to be born by Hashem from birth. I.e. you're a Jew. That's what a Jew is. A Jew is born again. That's what a Jew is. That's why Abraham is the first one. He's the first person that was born again. Born in the flesh of an idolater mother and an idolater man but became born again by the very spirit of God. That's true Jew. Anyway, but the point that I read this for was, he says, and moreover, I will load you up with a cup of salvations. Says the Midrash now interprets Ya'amas Lanu to mean he will load, he will load up something for us, i.e. he will place a load upon us, this load is alluded to in the continuation of the verse, the God of our Yeshua, Selah. The Midrash appears to be interpreting Yamas Lanu Ha'el Yeshua Tenu to mean God will load us up with the salvation. God will load us up with salvation. That's what that means. Yamas Lanu Ha'el Yeshua Tenu. God will load us up with salvation. It uses the imagery of a cup, of the cup held in the hand borrowed from Psalm 116, which is part of the Hallel, the spiritual hymn that Mashiach and his Talmudim were singing as they left the Seder on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, I will raise up the cup of salvations. Specifically because the word omes, which is the whole thing about lifting the burden and all that, is sometimes interpreted to mean handful. Let me give you a handful of Yeshua. It says, and all this will be in the merit of the Beit HaMikdash, which is referred to as a burden stone. The Midrash sees the word Ya'amas as an allusion to the temple, which is called Evan Ma'amasa, which is a burden stone. It is only when God will decide that the time has come for the temple to be rebuilt that the complete Yeshua will come. That's why we only have half of Yeshua right now. We have Mashiach ben Yosef. We're waiting Mashiach ben David. So it's only when God will decide that the time has come for the temple to be rebuilt that the complete Yeshua will come. The cool thing is we can help Hashem uh, bring that sooner. We can speed up the time, kind of like pushing, hitting you, hitting the sand glass, you know, and making the sand go down faster. We can do that. Like, Abba, come on, Abba, please. So please, can you bring the final redemption? Can you please send Mashiach Yeshua? Can you please make us worthy of the days of Messiah and the life of the world to come? It's like, okay, okay. All right. Calm down. I told you we were going to get ice cream, you know? Like, okay. 
just think about that, you know, for the parents out there who get uh, lovingly pestered by their children. How, how that makes you feel. It's like, you've been such a good child. You've been asking. You've been patient. I know we said we were going to go. All right, let's go. You know, it's like that can come forth with the final redemption. Like, we can do that. But we have to be obedient. We have to really love God. I mean, we just we just need to. We need to just love God. And we can't say we love God if we hate people. So we, so we got to love people so that we can love God. Okay, we got to love God so that we can love people. Like, it's a double-edged sword. And obviously, we know that. So, it says... As it is stated, it shall be on that day that I shall make Jerusalem for all the peoples a burdened stone. Zechariah 12, 3. And it says, although the verse refers to Jerusalem in general, the Midrash applies it to the focal point of Jerusalem. What's the center point of Jerusalem? Well, it says, namely, the Beit HaMikdash. Well, what's the center point of the Beit HaMikdash? Because... It says it is called a burden stone because the Holy of Holies contains within it the Evan HaShetiah, which is the foundation stone. I just want you to know it's literally called Evan Shetiah in most cases. And Evan Shetiah is Aleph Sheen. That's the first letter of each word, which is Aish. So you talk about our God is, cons- is a consuming ash. Our God is a consuming fire. He is the foundation stone, which is a consuming fire. But anyway, it says, which according to the Mishnah Yoma 5.2 served as the starting point of creation. Hence, in a sense, it. Hence, in a sense, it carries the burden of the entire world. It carries the burden of the entire world, the consuming fire of God, the foundation stone, the Holy of Holies, the Beit HaMikdash, Yerushalayim. Amen. Okay. Um, what else we got over here? Just doing some Shabbat Shira gleanings. Took pictures of stuff. Yeah, three days without Torah. I brought this up before, but I want to go ahead and say it again. Because unless you've heard something 400 times, you don't really have any room to talk. Uh, Myself included, obviously. Which, by the way, I just want to point out that uh, sometimes if I give the appearance of, oh, yeah, of course, Matt knows. Okay, yeah, Shomer Man knows. Okay, Drosh Man has got it. I mean... God talks for hours and hours on each tour portion. I just want to let everybody know that I don't see myself as a know-it-all. And uh, it's really a struggle sometimes to kind of share things because it's just like, uh, you share stuff all the time. Nobody wants to hear you like these voices do go on in my head. And I just want to point that out. And on top of all of that, I am just as sin and flawed as everybody else. I am not Superman, but I am Shomerman. And... um. You know, just like Tony Stark told uh, Mr. Uh, what's his name? Mr. Fury, Director Fury. I thought Iron Man was disqualified from the mission because he was unstable, volatile, da 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 da. And he was just like, well, that applied to Tony Stark, but we do need Iron Man. It's just kind of like, okay. So, anyway, I do have that that I do have to work against. So, I, I share these insights because I want to make it available for everybody. And it's really awesome to be able to listen back to things that I've been able to glean. And as I talk about things, more and more insights just come up. So, yeah. Anyway, just just to point that out, uh, Shomer Man is not a know-it-all. There are things that I love learning from other people. And uh, that's why all of you Avengers out there, I'm like, man, y'all are so awesome. Please share more stuff. Please interrupt my my leisure time that really doesn't exist interrupt that and send me drops (laughs) so anyway we're all in this together if iron man had to take on thanos by himself he would die he almost did which is why dr strange saved him and told him well you're you're actually going to die later but not right now we need you 
Anyway, so uh, yeah, we all have to fight together because Thanos can't take everybody. <laughs> Come on! Alright, the Humash with the teachings of the Talmud. Uh, verse 22 of some chapter. I believe it's chapter 15. No, 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 chapter 14 where they went without water. It says they went three they went a three-day period in the wilderness, but they did not find water. Three days without Torah, because water and Torah are one. Says so the word water hints to Torah. Thus, when our Pasuk says the Jews went for a three-day period, but they did not find water, it means they went three days without studying Torah. Don't do it. It says, since they did not study Torah for three days, they became spiritually exhausted. Says they could not fight against their Yetzahara. Because if you go three days, you bring yourself into spiritual exhausting exhaustion and your Yetzahara takes you down. But if you stay uh, beefed up, as they say, with water of Torah, your Yetzahara gets taken out. And Torah Wellsprings brings down for Parsha Yitro that a drop of the fear of Hashem, true fear of Hashem, like what he did to the Egyptians at the sea, what he did to the Egyptians in Egypt, all those plagues, uh, the whole lot of stuff that happened in the wilderness, like the power of Hashem. If you really contemplate on that, just a drop of fear, like if Hashem can do that, that will destroy your Yetzirah. Anyway, as far as your, if you have a challenge or a battle, that, that, that's like your nuke right there. Fear of Hashem. Don't fear men, but fear the one who can kill the soul as well. Don't fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who can cure the body and the soul. Because that's, that's more potent than just having your body killed. Your soul dying, what is that? Because it's spirit. How do you kill a spirit? Like, what? Anyway. Spiritually exhausted, says the prophets among them, therefore made a rule that we must read the Torah on Monday, Tuesday or Thursday and Shabbat, day two, day five and day seven. So three days should not pass without learning Torah, Bhavakama 82a. Then another thing that I took a picture of. The three types of manna. Yoma 75a, I brought this up earlier. I just want to say it says that um, our Pasuk describes the manna as lechem, which is which, okay, also it's important to note lechem can also mean war, like milkama. And so the Torah is our warfare. So how do we war against spirits and principalities and things like that, strongholds through Torah, daily bread? So lechem literally means bread says, we learned from this that the manna came down in the form of bread that was already baked. However, the Pasuk describes the manna as ugot, which refers to round cakes that are not yet baked. And the same Pasuk also tells us they ground the manna in a mill, which teaches us the manna came down as kernels. And the Jews had to grind it into flour. The answer to these contradictions is that each pasuk is referring to a different group of people. Our pasuk refers to the righteous people. Since they were righteous, they did not have to do any work and got the manna as ready-made bread. The second pasuk describes the average people. They got the manna as unbaked cakes, which they would bake. That pasuk refers to the wicked people. Yeah, which they would bake. And then that pasuk refers to the wicked people. These people got the manna as kernels, which required a lot of work. Since they had to grind the kernels into flour because they could bake it into bread. Or before they could bake it into bread. Yoma 75a. This is why I brought up the whole thing that if people complain about the manna, it's like, are you telling on yourself right now? Are you saying you're wicked? Drive by drop uh, or Hakaim about the parting of the Yom Suf. It says the deepest parts of the water were congealed and made solid. So we walked on water to which you insert into that Kepha when he walked on water it would have looked like this. 
and then the rest of the water from halfway up all the way to the top and some uh, opinions bring down this this water was about 30 feet deep so um we're looking at billions of people crossing through this really wide um, body of water that's about 30 feet deep and they're coming down off of a mountainside and they're going to take the mountain go right into the water keeping the ground level so as opposed to walking down into a valley the valley was raised up level because the water from the bottom of its depths all the way to the level that they were at upon entering into the sea was made solid the rest of the water from there all the way up to the top was made um was still water but it was walled off and pushed aside so they had a watery path through the water so when you kind of look about this uh, imagine walking down this slope and as you walk down this slope you're staying on a level path but you're descending into the waters and you're going to go about halfway down where there's going to be water above you and water below you, but the water below you is solid. The water above you is not. And then on all your sides, on your right and on your left, there's walled water. And then, you know, the sea, whatever creatures are in there are doing their thing. So you can kind of see them. So it's like an aquarium. And then if you needed fruit for the children or anything like that, like Tuba Shavat style, reach your hand in the water and fruit would be ready there. Dispense like a, like a, uh, vending machine that you didn't have to pay for so you reach in the water grab some fruit and keep it real keep it rolling you know on the go it's on the go eating you know it's organic it's uh fresh from the sea uh it's the the yom Suf cafe you know kind of thing yom Suf cafe yum yum it's it's delicious um that's what's the name of the the brand yum yum vending and uh you can go ahead and get you something get you some all right. So anyway, so this was happening. So that's Or Hakim. He brought that down, and again, you connect that to Mashi or to Kefa walking out to Mashiach on the stormy sea. You know, Mashiach made the water solid for him to walk on, but yet water was welling up around him, and waves are being tossed and stuff. So, because it was a stormy time. <clears throat> anyway, it's a stormy time at the Yom Suf crossing as well. All right. Three different tastes from Yoma 75b. Our pasuk describes the manna as lechem, again, also warfare. There's three types of warfare. If you really think about that, you know, it's like, so which one do you want? Do you want to be victorious? Do you want to have like a knockdown, drag out, like this is taking all of who I am? Or do you want to be the one who gets pummeled? So you kind of think about those three levels of, of battling. I don't know about you, but I prefer not to get my suit dirty. I uh, just put the whole buster on and let's go to business. So, you know, eat, eat well, eat fresh, you know, the true subway, the Torah. Okay. It says that, uh, which teaches that the manna tasted like ordinary bread. Another pasuk describes the manna as tasting like dough kneaded with oil. A third pasuk describes it as tasting like cake fried in honey, like a funnel cake. Mm. For younger adults, it tasted like ordinary bread for older people it tasted like dough kneaded with oil for small children it tasted like cakes fried in honey this is because the bread is good for young adults oil is good for older people and honey is good for small children yoma 75b so uh there is that uh from our gleanings there did I take a picture of anything else? Oh, this is from Totak, the Shummer version of the X-Men character called Cannonball. So Totak was sharing with me because when you use the letter Vav, it can change the past tense to a future tense when you put it at the beginning of a word. So that word can mean like this was and it also will be just from the letter Vav. And so uh, he was saying, yeah, if you look at uh, Bereshit chapter 3, verse 12, where it says, Vayomer ha'adam ha'isha asher natata imadi hu, or he, not na li min ha'etz va'okel. 
The man said, the woman you put at my side, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Because the shem is like, Where, did you eat the fruit? Like, how did you know you're naked? Anyway, so he threw his wife under the bus and he says, I ate the fruit. And he also said, I will eat the fruit. And Hashem was like, okay, I have to banish you. Because that va'okel means I did eat, like I ate it, but it also means I will eat. And so when you really look at that, I was saying to him, first of all, get some help. Second of all, this is why the first Adam was disqualified from being the Mashiach, because he could not refuse to eat the fruit that was forbidden. And here we go with the second Adam. He could, he did, and he will refuse to eat the fruit. That's why he rejected the drinks while he was on the crucifixion stake. So there was that. Uh, anything else? Anything else? Boom. Uh, oh, you know how we always say Baruch Atah Adonai? So the word Baruch says in the Midrash Tehillim on page 79b at the very bottom right hand corner. The word Baruch implies transporting. For example, one who sinks one end of a vine into the ground to grow another vine is called a hamavrik, which is Kilayim 7.1. It follows that in a spiritual sense, Baruch means to draw down a higher spiritual reality. Torah or Miketz 37c. So I just want to let you know when we're saying Baruch, we're actually doing some kind of teleportation and we're drawing down higher spiritual reality into this world. Like the way that a person who's called a Hamavrik would take a grapevine and sink it into the ground and cause another grapevine to grow. So we're planting a vineyard. We're tending the garden, if you will, as we say, our brachot. So why do we pray without ceasing and why are there so many brachas? Because, well, we got a garden to plant. Um, let's see here. There is. Some things that are brought down. OK, uh, so. Told you about the depth of the sea, about 30 feet or so, according to some opinions. Well, in Shabbat 22a, it says the Hanukkah lamp, the Hanukkah, is invalid if it's um, if it's placed above 20 cubits, which is a little bit over 30 feet. So if you think about it, when we were immersed into the sea, we were immersed into a depth at which if we looked up, we would be able to see Hanukkah. Uh, this also applied to the alleyway beam that you set for an Eruv and also for the height of your sukkah. It cannot exceed this limit. So we entered into a sukkah. We were in an Eruv and we had a Hanukkah all at the same time as far as the height requirements. So that's how far we were immersed into the sea. And it's between 30 to 40 feet, depending on uh, which uh, which measurement standard you're going to go by, like Feinstein or the different uh, halakhic ways to measure cubits. But anyway, I just want to throw that out because this is in juxtaposition to the pit that Yosef was thrown into, to which the incredible Talmud, a.k.a. Professor Talmud, said, so you mean to tell me the height of the Hanukkah and the sukkah and the beam for the Eruv, like the little strand that's put up, and the sukkah, like the limit of that is juxtaposed to the depth at which Yosef was thrown into the pit? So was it that Yosef was thrown into a pit that was about that deep? Like, what? And I'm like, yeah, now that I know that information... Connect that to the Yom Suf. So now when we're in the Yom Suf, we are now being cast down into death because that's why Yosef was thrown into the pit because they wanted to kill him originally. So the intention was we want to kill this guy and we're going to throw him into the pit. So now when we immerse ourselves into the splitting of the Yom Suf, it's like immersing ourselves in the death of Yosef. 
Yeah. So there's this whole thing about you were mikvahed with Mashiach in his death and in his burial and his resurrection. Now no longer you live, but he lives in you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yosef was taken out of the pit. So think about that. Also says that pit that Yosef was in was full of snakes and scorpions. So that's Shabbat 22a. Um, what else we got here? Gates of Torah, page 577. When one studies Torah for its own sake and labors and exerts himself for the sake of heaven, his two kidneys become like two springs and he produces reasons and halakot himself. What he had never learned and what had not even been given to Moshe on Sinai, as we find in respect to Abraham of blessed memory, Bereshit, Rabbah 95.3. Let me just tell you, Bereshit 95.3 just goes on to say, Abraham followed the rabbinic parts of the Torah, the stringencies, the halakot. Uh, he taught himself because he had to learn it on his own. And that's pretty much what we're like. To which my point is, as Lapid, no one taught us Judaism. No one taught us observance because no Orthodox Jew has given us the time or day to welcome us into their classes and help us, you know, become observant. And so what we have gleaned and what we have learned as Sar Shalom and Lapid Judaism is what we've had to learn ourselves as we read the, you know, the Talmud and the Midrash and all of the different uh, Jewish literature uh, that's available, you know, and so we didn't make stuff up, but because of us start uh, studying Torah for its own sake and laboring and exerting ourselves for the sake of heaven, Hashem has hooked us up. So we even have our own Halakha Sar Shalom, which is totally on point because it's all sourced out and it's not made up. So it all lines up, but that's because Hashem and his great mercy and his amazingness was like, yeah, your two kidneys become like two springs that will produce reasons and halakot for yourself. So us as Lapid, we should be really, really excited that Hashem is allowing us to build from the ground up because we study Torah for its own sake. And everything that we do is for the sake of heaven. We're not waiting on men to approve of us and tell us, oh, yeah, you're good. Or, oh, yeah, that's legit. And, oh, yeah, that holic is great. And, oh, yeah, that stringency is cool. And, oh, yeah, you can do it like that. That that new sock is fine. You know, it's okay to sit during the Shema. It's okay to bow only in certain brachas. We should be super excited that we don't have that. We should be super excited that Hashem is allowing us to come up with these things because it's proof. Because you shall know a tree by its fruit, right? A little Tuba Shabbat drop on Tuba Shabbat here. Uh, it says that we're doing it for its own sake. And so the fruit that's going to come out from that is pure. It's good fruit. So we should we should not be waiting on man to approve of what we're doing. Are you living for God and are you giving it all you got? And what you are learning, have you applied it? And and when you're learning something new, how are you learning something new? Are you going like, oh my gosh, can't believe somebody didn't tell me. Da da da, we've been doing it wrong the whole time. Or are you like, Baruch Hashem, like this is amazing. Like I'm gonna see how I can implement that into my observance. And the caution to that is if you learn something new, it takes away your joy, back away from it, okay? You have 20 years until you're fully accountable for everything that you know. I guarantee you in 20 years, you're going to be beyond this one little summing block that's like, can't believe you're doing that. That's not an observant Jew. And you're like, first of all, I just got here. I'm only two. Back up, you know? We don't tell two-year-old children, what's wrong with you? Why are you wearing your keeper backwards? Where your ZZ at? How come you're how come you're not, you know, studying Zohar right now? What's wrong with you? Like, do we do that to two-year-olds? Why are we doing that to ourselves? Again, Acts chapter 15, the Talmudim knew this. They said, Why are we putting on on the Gentiles who are coming into faith, i.e., they're converting, they're becoming Jews? 
Why are we making it hard for them to come in? We're putting on them weights that we couldn't even bear ourselves. Like, how long did it take us to learn all this stuff? Give them a break. Give them four things to start with. You'd be amazed at where they can go from there. Two out of the four of those laws are kosh root. So if anybody ever comes up to you and tells you, oh, yeah, we only have to do those four things in Acts 15. It's like, oh, so you eat kosher? I guarantee you people who have that four four law mentality or no high mentality, they don't eat kosher. So it's like by default, you're not even obeying the very word that you protest with. So consider the source is what I like to say on those things, because if someone's going to come at you with that and they're not even following what they do, those are the kind of people you just slowly back away from and say, hey, all right, thumbs up to you. Have a great day. I'm going to keep going over here and doing my thing. You know, anyway, if you really want to make it look cool, just moonwalk away from them. Going on to say in this gate of Torah, it says, who who never was taught by any man, talking about Abraham, he was never taught by any man who sat and reflected by himself concerning the mitzvot and in this way derived the whole of Torah and mitzvot and scripture testifying about him. Bereshit 26.5, and he kept my ordinance, my mitzvot's, my statutes, my laws. Our sages of blessed memory have stated that even that he even knew about the Eruv Tashlin, which is a rabbinical ordinance, Yoma 28b. I don't even know that one yet. It says, I know there's a blessing for it, though. It says they also said of Odazera 14b, our father Abraham learned 400 chapters and tractate of Odazera. Who taught him all this? Question mark. His kidneys became like two springs from which there flowed to him wisdom and Torah. And so we find in respect to Rabbi Eliezer the Great, Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer II, our rabbis of blessed memory testified about him that because of his great application to Torah study, there was revealed to him what was not revealed to Moshe on Mount Sinai. Torah of Mashiach, very much, shall we say? You know, the deeper hidden revelations, the new Torah, the one that Hashem is going to teach us of, which is Memtet, Mashiach. Because you realize when Hashem manifests, it's Memtet, right? If you didn't, go back and watch Aliyah Day uh, for Parsha Beshalach and for Parsha Bo, and you'll get the whole Memtet drop, and it's amazing. So, yes, and there are six uh, episodes of each one of those episodes. So after 12 episodes of Aliyah Day, trust me, you'll be totally squared away on everything. Captain Israel is very, very thorough in bringing these concepts down like a pair of shoes. Anyway, so it says um, our rabbis of blessed memory testified about him that because of his great application to Torah study. There was revealed to him what was not revealed to Moshe at Sinai. And thus did our rabbis of blessed memory do. From generation of Moshe, our teacher, may Shalom be upon him until that of Yehoshua and from that of Yehoshua until the elders and to the prophets and to the men of greater assembly and to the Tanaim and the Amarim and the Geonim. And all the sages of the generation that labored in Torah and gave their lives for it, there was revealed to them mysteries of Torah, secrets of wisdom, which one cannot deduce by himself. Our sages of blessed memory have already enumerated 48 traits for the acquisition of Torah. Pirkei Avot 6.5 one whose heart prompts him to attain the way of Torah should exert himself. So, yeah, you have to toil in Torah. You have to give it all you got. Gotta give it, give it, give it all you got. Okay. And uh, the final thing I want to end with is to transition into Parsha Yitro because after Tuba Shabbat, or as a Tuba Shabbat, well, before Tuba Shabbat because it's Yom Rishon right now, Uh, We are now in a new Torah portion. 
We are now out of Shabbat Shira and into Parsha Yitro, which is the Parsha about the giving of the Torah and the final convert of the nation coming in, which was Yitro. A lot on that. But anyway, um, I want to take down some daily wisdom here because this just took me right off the bat. It said, and after hearing about the exodus from Egypt, the splitting of the sea, the war with Amalek, Yitro went to meet Moshe and the Jewish people who were encamped at Rephidim, a short distance from Mount Sinai, although he had already renounced idolatry. Key phrase. Although he had already renounced idolatry. Megillah 13a says anyone who renounces idolatry is a Jew. But that's not enough, though, because Yitro says I've already renounced idolatry. Daily Wisdom goes on to say he now felt it was time to take the next step and become a Jew, receiving the Torah each day. Goodness gracious. Just because we renounce idolatry, okay, so what What now? What are you going to do? How are you going to live now that you've rejected his idolatry? Now that you've proverbially put your faith in the Mashiach, which would mean you've rejected idolatry so if you're embracing mashiach yet you don't do the torah and you do all these other holidays and religious observances that are not found in torah you haven't renounced idolatry which means you haven't really put your faith in mashiach hard pill to swallow but i mean again what's the fruit of believing in mashiach it should be that one walks in torah because a dead man has no conditions so therefore, when Hashem makes you alive again, or makes you alive, then it's like, okay, the only way to live is by being the new creation that he made you to be, which is why the Ephesians chapter talks about after the gift of salvation, it says that you were created as a workmanship for works that were already predestined for you. Those predestined works is what we find in the Torah and the mitzvot. And in the daily life of receiving the Torah, renouncing idolatry and taking the next steps beyond. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye holam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha Torah. Amen.